think we are up to uh, the 13th of that from this book of Joshua. Pray that uh, this too is a blessing to us. Uh, we are drawing to a close. Uh, there is a large section of the book of Joshua that deals with uh, the land that is given to each tribe. Um, we'll, we'll cover a large section of that next Lord's Day. And then we come to Joshua's final challenge to his people, but certainly also to us as well, uh, the following Lord's Day. So a couple of more messages after this one. At this point, uh, Joshua and the people of Israel have conquered uh, that. They, they've driven a wedge in the land of Canaan. Uh, they went into the center first. That's the Jericho and Ai campaign. Uh, so the center of Canaan, they, they've successfully divided that. They've gone through the southern campaign. That's the, the five kings. That's the hailstones. That's the day uh, that is lengthened when the sun doesn't set. And dealing with those five kings then that hid in that cave of Makeda. And then Joshua's campaign to systematically go from city to city. So from the central portion, the mid-portion of Canaan, down, it's now in Israelite hands. It's under Israelite control. There is more work to be done, but it's under their control. But it's the whole northern section that is yet to be conquered. That's what we have in Joshua chapter 11. Let's hear then God's breathed out word. When Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard this, he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Erebus, south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland, and in Naoth, Dor, on the west, and to the Canaanites in the east and the west, and the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde, in number like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time I will give them all over to them. All of them, give over all of them, slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Miseroth Maam. And eastward as far as the valley of Mizpeh. And they struck them until he left none remaining. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor and struck its king with the sword. For Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire in all the cities of those kings and all their kings. Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction. 
just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. But none of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn except Hazor alone. That Joshua burnt. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hill country and all the Negev and all the land of Goshen and the lowland and the Arabah and the hill country of Israel and its lowland, from Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, as far as Belgad, in the valley of Lebanon, below Mount Hermon. And he captured them, captured all their kings and struck them and put them to death. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the people of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. They took them all in battle. For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle in order that they should be devoted to destruction and should receive no mercy but be destroyed, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And Joshua at that time, and, and Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Deber, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. And the land had rest from war. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, I once again want to thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to come this morning to worship you, and I once again want to thank you for the men and women that have served this country, dear Lord, and our Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, dear Lord, and some of them, some of them paying the ultimate sacrifice, and I want to thank them for the service. I want to thank you for the service of some of the men in this congregation, too, that have served, dear Lord, and to protect our freedoms, and the most important freedom, dear Lord, that we have the opportunity to come through open doors this morning at this church, dear Lord, and I want to thank you for that. Dear Lord, as we open your message here in a little bit, we just pray for Pastor Bob and that you give him the words and the strength and open our hearts and minds as a congregation that we accept this word and apply it to our lives, dear Lord, learn to live for you more. This we ask in your name, amen. And amen. And so we come here to this 11th chapter and we meet a man by the name of Jabin. He is the king of a city by the name of Hazor, probably the, the most prominent city in this northern part of, of the land of Canaan, uh, a strong city, a fortified city. He has heard all that Joshua has done in the south. He's heard about Jericho and Ai. He's heard about the five kings. Um, and, and now he has a decision to make. What are we going to do? What are we going to do about this threat of the Israelites? Well, he's got options. His options would be, one, he could flee and just give up the land. They could all just vacate, just leave. They could wait and get attacked by Joshua. That does not seem to have worked well in other places. 
He could unite forces and wait it out. He could just surrender and get absorbed and see where that takes him. But he takes the fifth option. He decides he's going to unite forces as best he can to align all the people who are in this northern area, the greater northern area of the land of Canaan, and we're just going to have it out. We're just going to have one big, large battle. And he's going to fight. And he's going to bring the war to Joshua. That's what he decides to do. Now the first part of Joshua chapter 11 tells us the strength that these enemies have. That's what's going on in the word of God in verses 1 through 5. Let me list the strengths of the enemies. It's always good when you're dealing with an enemy to know what the strength of the enemy is. Before you go into battle, you better know your enemy. And that's true not only here in terms of Joshua fighting with the people of Israel against these enemies. That's true of any nation that goes to war. You better assess what the enemy has at their of, uh, availability, what they can use. It's good for the church to do that in this day and age. What are the strengths of the enemy? And it's good for us as individuals to consider that as well as we deal with the enemy of our own souls. Even Satan himself. What are his strengths? What are his tactics? How, how does he go about things? So the Lord gives to us in his word the strengths of the enemy. We don't deny that. We don't say, oh, the enemy has no strength, no power whatsoever. No, they're strong. God makes sure we understand that. One, they had horses. In fact, it says they had many horses. It was something that God, interestingly, had told the people of Israel never to have, that they were never to trust in horses. They were never to accumulate for themselves horses. They were never to put their trust in a horse. Because, you see, a horse wasn't just something you went for a Saturday afternoon ride on. This isn't a pleasure type thing. This is a war vehicle. A horse was a means of war. It was an advantage in war because of the height of the horse, because of the speed of the horse, because it could outrun a man, because if you're on the ground trying to fight up somebody in riding on a horse, you are at a great disadvantage. It's a means of warfare. It's not a, oh, let me accumulate, you know, some racing horses and take them to the Kentucky Derby. Let me have some show horses that I can show and display and, and win awards and ribbons. That's not what's going on here. This is weaponry. And the text is telling us they had a lot of them. Secondly, they also have chariots. We have not encountered this before. We have not come across a, 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 an opponent that Joshua has faced that has dealt with chariots. Another tank, we could say. Another weapon. Uh, a weapon that gave, again, a great advantage. And, the text tells us, not only very many horses, but chariots too. They also have many men. We have not read in the book of Joshua this description. 
as many as the sand of the seashore, a great horde. There is an accumulation of a force that Joshua is about to face that they have not come close to having to deal with previously in these first 10 chapters. This far surpasses anything they've dealt with. The horses, the chariots, the men. But there is another advantage. We might, we might look past it. It's where they're gathered. They're at the waters of Merom. A large, flat, open plain. The perfect place to make use of your horses. The perfect place to make use of your chariots. You can see the enemy coming in every direction because of how open it is. It was easily accessible because it's on major trade routes, which allows for all of these various groups to come and to maneuver. It wasn't like going through hills and valleys. It was easy to get there for these enemies. All these strengths, all these advantages, they are indeed against what, what humanly we would look at and say it's a it's an insurmountable foe. Yeah, the Israelites might have put, picked up a weapon or two in conquering these other kings, but they're no trained army. They, they do not have this fa fancy weaponry. They are simply making use of that which they have in their hands. The strength, if, if we're looking at this militarily, is all on the side of Jabin and these other kings. But I want you to pause a minute and look at this chapter as far as what are the strengths that Joshua has. What are the strengths that the Israelites have? No, they don't have horses. No, they don't have chariots. No, they don't have a great horde of men. And no, they're not fighting in a place that would be to their advantage. So what, what does God give them? I want you to think about that in context today of the church of Jesus Christ. We are up against some pretty strong enemies, some pretty powerful enemies. They have a lot at their disposal. They have the power of mandates. They have the power of institutions. They have the power of the media. They have the power of money. They have the power of high positions of authority. They have the power of, of what seems to be the hearts of the people. They got a lot of power. What do we have as the church? Or you might be looking at it individually. You think about the text in the New Testament. We, you know, we war against principalities and powers. Well, think about their strength. We're, we're dealing with spiritual beings. 
We're, we're dealing with Satan, the enemy of our soul. We're, we're dealing with demonic forces that are seeking to destroy our souls. What do we got? They got a lot of strength. What do we have? Listen to the rest of this passage as we look at now what are the strengths. One, you know what Joshua and Israel's strength is here? They have the encouragement of the Lord. And the Lord said to Joshua, just after all this listing, God just listed all the strengths of the enemy. What's the first response that God now gives to Joshua as he looks at the strength of this enemy? God comes to him and he says, don't be afraid. For tomorrow at this time, I will give all of them over, slain to Israel. The encouragement of the Lord. Now, if we were dealing with somebody else's, a, a friend, a brother, a neighbor who's encouraging us, that's nice, that's helpful, it's just motivated. But you know, it only goes so far because we kind of go, you don't know really all the realities of what I'm dealing with here. Thanks, nice words, appreciate it. Sincere, helpful, but pretty limited. But understand who it is that is coming alongside Joshua and the people of Israel. Coming alongside the church. Coming alongside of you. And encouraging you. It is the Lord. Tonight we begin a series on the attributes of God. Who is the Lord? Who is this being that we call the Lord of hosts? Our minds and we as humans sometimes so limit, make God so small. But in reality, what greater encouragement than it? person have than to have the Lord God come and say, do not be afraid. I'll give him into your hand. The encouragement of the Lord to not be afraid. I'll give them over. And I'll even set a time by this time tomorrow, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Considering the, the last couple of chapters where we've had Joshua praying, Lord, hold the sun. It's been all about time, and it's all been about days and when and so on, and, and all of those, those, as it were, cosmic events. Now God comes to Joshua, and he says, Hey, Joshua, by this time tomorrow, check your watch, Joshua. Check your sundial. Okay? What, what, what time we at, Joshua? We're at. 2.33, Lord. Okay, Joshua, by 2.33 tomorrow, I'm giving them over to you. Dead. You know, hold me to it. Secondly, what's the second 
strength of Joshua. Verse 7. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merim and fell upon them. What's the second strength? The suddenness of the attack. They don't even know it's coming. The enemies kind of have this all figured out as to how this is going to work. They've got their little plan strategy. They, they've got it figured, you know, Joshua's going to operate by these certain rules of warfare and so on and so forth, none of which is biblical, okay? But, you know, you're supposed to call them and tell them, you know, hey, at 8 o'clock, let's go to the waters of Merom, and you come bring with your forces, you bring with your forces. The Lord never says to fight in prearranged arrangements like that. Suddenly. In fact, that's the one thing that Joshua seems to continue to do. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. There's no hesitation. Once he has been encouraged by the Lord, there is no hesitation. But you see that there is strategy in that. This, this is not just an emotional, good, let's go get him. No. This is the best strategy for Joshua to use here, to come upon them suddenly. Why? What happens if you come upon them suddenly? You've got chariots lined up, right? You've got horses over here corralled, being fed. What's the problem? You have no horses attached to chariots. When you come upon them suddenly, what can't they do? Hook the horses to the chariots. The two main Power, strengths have just been eliminated. The horses become useless. The chariots become useless. And what does that do? Nobody knows what to do. Why? Because there's an orderliness with which you do that. Somebody's going to sound a bugle or a horn of some sort. Uh, soldiers are going to go get horses. Horses are going to then be attached to chariots. And the guys who ride the chariots get in the chariots. And then you have foot soldiers line up. There, there's an organized way. What happens when you come upon them suddenly? You have chaos. You have chaos. He came upon them suddenly by the waters of Merom, and fell upon them. He assesses the situation and realizes here the best option is to move swiftly and quickly under the word of the Lord by this time tomorrow. Thirdly, there is the presence of the Lord. It's not only the encouragement of the Lord, it's the presence. Look at verse 8. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. The Lord gave them. You know why I wanted to preach on this text? Because there's no miracle. Listen to that again. There is no miracle. There's no hailstones. There's no walls just falling over. There's no sun being held in the sky. I 
And yet the Lord was with them. And the Lord gave them over. I think we're all waiting for a miracle. And I think the Lord is saying, I'm with you. I think sometimes the church is waiting around for hailstones to fall upon our enemies. And God's saying, I'm with you. I think sometimes in our own personal lives, we're, we're waiting for a lightning bolt from the sky that will go, okay, yep, now I'll deal with my sin in my own personal life because I've seen the lightning bolt and God's going, I'm with you. Do you understand the power of the presence of the Lord? As a believer in Jesus Christ, God's presence is with you. What did I say at the beginning of worship? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. In the midst, I'm present. Where the church is, God is. Where the Christian is, God is. See, he doesn't need a miracle to deliver them from what? Their greatest opponent to date. See, this is the spot where we might go, oh, God's going to really do something big here. Because look at the enemy. They're big and powerful and they've got horses and chariots. I wonder what God's going to do here. You know what God did here? He showed up. He showed up. He was there. And he gave them into the hands of the Israelites. What an amazing, amazing stoppage to think about. But you see, that was the promise of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. You know, when you read this passage, that's, they come out against them. And the Lord just <laughs> divides them all up. And Joshua just chasing them all over the place. Picking them off. Destroying them. Just exactly what God promised. It's what God promised to Joshua, right? In Joshua chapter 1. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Joshua, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Do you recognize that phrase? Do, do, can you go? Bingo. I make the connection. If not, go to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus speaking to the church, speaking to individual believers who are part of that church, says all authority in heaven and earth and has been given to me. Now go. 
Baptize in my name. Disciple in my name. Because I will never leave you or forsake you. What is the strength of Joshua? It is the presence of the Lord. What is the strength of the church? Chariots, horses, a great horde. The presence of the Lord. What do you need, individual Christian, to war against Satan? The presence of the Lord. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The fourth strength is the fulfillment of the battle. What did Joshua do? He hamstrung the horses, destroyed the chariots. Hmm. Somebody should have read Joshua chapter 11 before August 31, huh? Right? What do you do? With the treasure trove of weapons. Do you leave them yet for another enemy? No, you destroy them. See, if he leaves the horses and he leaves the chariots, one, it'd be disobedience to the Lord. But two, now there's all these horses. What if somebody else captures the horses? Now it becomes their treasure trove. What if somebody else captures... The chariots, now it becomes their treasure trove. Get rid of them. Destroy them. If you don't have time to move them from base to base and get them out of Afghanistan, at least destroy them so they aren't used by the enemy. Scripture, truth, this is what we need to be living our lives by. This is what our government needs to be following. The truth of God's word. It's all here. But that's what my heart needs to follow. That's what your heart needs to follow. Too often, we leave the treasure troves of sin tucked away in the corner in the crevice of our heart to be used again by the enemy of our soul to seek to raise them again to destroy us. We need to finish that sin off in our hearts. How can I do that? The presence of the Lord. God's presence is that which defeats the enemies pray fill me lord jesus fill me with your spirit fill me so that i may put to death the sin in the crevices of my heart ah there's more but i'm going to leave it for next lord's day I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to end there. It's a good lead in.
the next Lord's Day anyway, but let's just reflect on the strengths that God gives to you and I individually as the church. Let's not cower. Let's not be afraid. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and because of his promise. He is with us always. He's with you. He's with you right now, this moment, at this time. He's with you. And he's encouraging you. Do not be afraid. Father, thank you. There are some, perhaps more than others, this morning who need these, to hear these words. But Father, all of us, truly as Christians, for Lord, we all wage war against the sin of our hearts, the sin of our souls, sin of our lives. We need to to hear this message, no matter how large, no matter how big the enemy may appear. Greater, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. In Christ's name, all God's people can say, Amen.